we're in a series called uh, Pressure. Last week we started with um, talking about pressure at work and how to handle that, and then, uh, and then today we're talking about pressure at home, and our goal is that your home doesn't get destroyed by the giant will of death. And, uh, and so there are a couple goals that we have with this series, if you'll uh, kind of pay attention to these. Um, number one is that I want to see every Church on the Hill member tool to not just survive, but thrive through the pressures of life. Somebody say amen. Isn't that good? Don't you? I want you to thrive through the midst of all. Pressure's inevitable. Stress is inevitable. Difficulty's inevitable. What has to happen is we have to be tooled to not just survive it, but to thrive in the midst of it and walk in joy and peace. The second goal of this series is that each of us learns how to depressurize our lives God's way. Not the way the world does it with alcohol and smoking weed and all that kind of stuff, but how do we depressurize all the things of life. The Bible says actually be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of going and trying to uh, uh, depressurize your life with alcohol and things like that. And then my third goal is that you and I would embrace God's plan of expanding us through the pressures of this world and this life and this system that we live in called the world. So we've got a key scripture today. I want you to write this one down. It'll be on the screens here, Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 through 7. I'm sorry, I just can't get the mojito out of my head. I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. I'd like you to memorize this uh, scripture this week. It'll help you. If you uh, memorized our key scripture every week, every Sunday, you'd have 52 scriptures that you have learned in a year. And I think that would be pretty life-changing. You do that over 10 years, that's a lot of word of God down inside of you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, And do not be anxious about anything. Everybody say anything. Okay, that word could also be stressed out or could be wigged out, depending if you're a younger generation, freaked out. I'm sorry to use a Christian curse word. That's what they say. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And look what verse 7 says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me put this scripture in, in, uh, in, in proper order for you to understand it. It says, it, says, it says, don't be anxious about it. Don't be wigged out. Don't be stressed out about anything. But in all things, through prayer, supplication is what King James says. NIV uses the word petition. Through seeking God, through the midst of all the difficulties of your life, the problems that you have at home, the problems you have at work, if you'll just seek the Lord in the midst of it, if you'll pray to the Lord with a thanksgiving heart. In other words, you've got to do this now. I want it now. No, no, no. God, I thank you that you are already caring about the things that I'm going through. You've already made me strong enough to survive it. Just enlighten me to see exactly how I can proceed in this situation. And it says in this, and it says, and if you ask God, then the peace of God which transcends, which goes past anything. Guys, it'll go past anything that makes sense. People ask me all the time, how are you at such peace? There was a season in my life where I traveled full-time. I was doing 82 engagements a year. I get on an airplane 82 times a year, go preach somewhere and come back. That was three times a week. I was running a Bible school, and we had this church as a home church in our living room. How in the world did we survive that? The peace of God that transcended all understanding and it guarded my heart and my mind. And when the, and when the peace of God was done with that and I couldn't sense the peace anymore, I knew it was to, time to move on and stop doing those things because the peace wasn't there anymore. It talks about, remember we talked about the feet shot with the preparation of gospel peace, that you'll be led in peace is where the Bible says. And so knowing that God wants to give you peace and it will transcend what your co-workers are all wigging out. We're going to lose our job, our bosses an idiot. I'm going to murder my wife. Peace in the midst of that whole situation that doesn't make any sense. Isn't that what you won't say? Yes. It's called supernatural peace. And it'll transcend everybody. And it'll guard, look what it says. It'll guard your heart and your mind. Do you know why? Because stress, worry, doubt, pressure, you know what that affects more than anything else? Your heart and your mind. Think about it. You get frustrated, you get aggravated with your spouse, with your children, with your situation. And what is it? It's just bombarding your mind. I, I'm going crazy. It's driving me insane. What is that? That's thoughts in your mind. It's all pressure on your thoughts. And then it ends up in your heart and causes bitterness or hurt or something like that, which causes you to do crazy things that you should never do. And it says the peace of God will literally guard your heart and your mind. I don't know about you, but I don't want crazy thoughts in my mind. 
Every one of the men in my family cheated on their spouses. When things get tough in my life, I don't want to have those thoughts. I want those thoughts to be covered under the peace of God, pushed down, destroyed so far that it doesn't even enter my way of thinking and captive those high thoughts and make them obedient to the word of God. That's what I want to live in and walk in. I want the same thing for you. Isn't that good? Say yes. So we're talking about pressure at home. Today I want to give you a couple of stats to kind of of give you a, a sense of how much pressure or stress or worry is in the home today. 85% of the United States population will marry at least once. Isn't that something? 85%. Only about 15% will stay lifelong single. 40% of children are born out of wedlock. Less than a third of first married marriage couples seek premarital preparation and less than 25% of pre-step family couples. What we're talking about, step family couples, in other words, you're about to marry someone who already has kids. So you're going to bring that scenario together, and that's a much more pressurized scenario than if you didn't have kids outside of that union that you're coming into now. And so now all of a sudden you got somebody like, you're not my daddy, you can't tell me what to do. And you're bringing all of that together and trying to blend those families. And so most, I love, I love the statistic, that less than a third of people getting married even seek any kind of premarital counseling. Frank, can I tell you that? That's not wise. You need to know. Listen, you can't just throw the two, two human beings into a mix and hope it all works out. You need to walk through communication difficulties, past uh, uh, experiences, backgrounds. How you, listen, I can tell you, there's some folks in this room that have been through the divorce, and they, I guarantee they tell you, go get premarital counseling before you ever get, because I had no idea he thought this. I had no idea she was like this. It was like all of a sudden, Godzilla woke up next to me one morning. I was like, I don't know what happened. I thought she was this person, and come to find out she was this person. I thought he was this person. Why? All that can come out in premarital counseling, and less than a third of couples getting married even attempted. And then even worse, less than 25% of folks who are bringing in stepkids and all that into this scenario even attempted. Friend, that's not too wise, and that's a national statistic. For adults, listen to this. For, uh, excuse me. Approximately one-third of all weddings in America today are up. Uh, form step families. One third of all the weddings today are step families coming together. You talk about a lot of pressure. You talk about a lot of dynamics that aren't simple and aren't easy. And then the next piece is for adults, a stable, happy marriage is the best protector against illness, premature death, and for children such a marriage is the best source of emotional stability and good physical health. In fact, it, there was a statistic, I didn't put it on the screen, there was a st- statistic that I found uh, in my research the last couple of days, and it said literally that there is a 50 to 60% increase of poverty for those who are raised in single-parent homes. That the two, the way God intended that a mom and a dad would raise their children, his intent actually is healthier for you. It's better for your future success and your stability and who you are and your identity and going forth. One of the largest shifts in family structure is this. 34% of children today are living with an unmarried parent, up from just, uh, up from just 9% in 1960 and 19% in 1980. So now we're looking at uh, many single parents trying to raise their children. In fact, somewhere just above the, thir- uh, the, the one-third rate. A number of studies show that it is common for active disciples of Christ, and this is a critical statistic because if you read some statistics about divorce and Christian, uh, Christians uh, living the same way that non-Christians live when it comes to marriage and couples and things like that, that actually is not a completely legitimate statement in the fact that a lot of people call themselves Christians that are not Christians. Hello. And so, uh, and so just because they say they are doesn't mean they are any more than eating a donut makes you a police officer. So it says a number of studies show that the, com- the common for acti- active dis- people who really love Jesus, who really are disciples of Christ, uh, to have a divorce rate that is 35 to 50% lower than a general population. Come on, somebody. And so you know what the goal is? Let's get, get, get full of Jesus and keep our marriages and our families together. Isn't that good? Say yes. In fact, I just feel real, I just feel real stirred by the Spirit of the Lord. If you're a single parent right now uh, raising your kids, by yourself, would you just lift a hand right where you're at? Who is that? Would you reach over and put your hands on these folks real quick? I'm going to pray for you. I, feel the, I just feel the urgency of God to know that you're not by yourself and the family. God. Look, 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 go ahead and stand up, ladies. Are there ladies or any fellas? Stand up for me. Thank you. Hey, these people need us. Church, these people need us. Let me tell you something. And especially the African-American statistics show a 75%, in, in, 75% African-Americans are raised in, in single-family homes. 
And that's something we've got to surround our African-American, Hispanic, Anglo, and Asian families that are single moms and dads. We've got to help them. Stand, stand with them. Just grab their hand. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for these single moms and single dads. I pray right now for supernatural ability to be sustained. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to do miracles, that you're going to be a daddy to their children. God, your word says that you're a father to the fatherless. I thank you, Lord God, they'll not have any baby mama drama, Lord God, with their exes, families, and all that stuff. Father, I thank you for peace like a river in their home. I thank you that their children are raised up, and Lord God, that they will help and be a part of the solution. Father, I pray, Lord God, that their children will not have difficulty, Lord God, in school, that they'll be the smartest and the brightest kids out of all their classmates. I thank you, Lord God, that their incomes of these single moms will be more than enough. I thank you, Lord God, child support will be paid on time in Jesus' name. And that, Lord God, you would bring young men out of this church to be there besides their sons and daughters to kind of help be a part of that Christian men and women, Lord God, to sustain them and be family for them and they'll not be alone. And in the nights, the lonely nights, oh God, that you would bring comfort and strength. And Lord, all the pressure and the stress and the worry, Lord God, will just alleviate right now as you begin to bring solutions. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you so much. And I just, sorry for going off script for a moment, but you're the most important people right now in this meeting, and I just want to thank you for your lives, and thank you for your sacrifice. I was raised by a single mom for the majority of my childhood, and and then, of course, my stepdad just being a great man. And I want to tell you this, single moms and dads, when my mom married my stepdad, we were getting our hair cut, and the lady cutting our hair, I'll never forget this as long as I live, marked me. She goes, you can tell that you're your son and and dad, because y'all had the exact same hairline and all that, and we kind of looked at each other, and and, and she's, she was in our church, and he goes, you, you will actually, you know, Adam's my stepson. She goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And we walked away going, that's right, because when God fixed it, he fixes it better than it was before. Isn't that good? So God's got a plan. Let him fix it. He's got it all under control. So I brought out my little skeleton today. I was sitting in a, in, uh, t- this week, and I was meeting with one of my favorite people in the world, Dustin Dowenhauer. And Dustin actually works. He's going to turn his back to you. Dustin actually works for a chiropractor. And, uh, and we were talking about all this pressure and stuff. He goes, you know, he goes, Pastor Adam, you know, in the line of work that I'm in, in chiropractic work, he said, one of the key components that happens, and the reason why chiropractic work, and he's selling me on it, of course, I, I, won't, I love you if you're a chiropractor, but I'll never show up. I don't want anybody cracking my, my stuff. Anyway, and so, but he said, one of the key components to chiropractic work is that it's your brain, you know, and your spinal cord is your central nervous system. And he says, so what happens, the brain sends that central nervous system, you know, walk, uh, up and down this spine or this backbone, and it only goes to whatever lumbar in here and then from there your brain sends signals down that spinal cord to all the different places of your body tells your hands to move tells your feet to do what it's supposed to do and he says what happens is over time if not careful the body begins to put too much pressure on one side because you picked up something heavy come on some of you know you're in a car accident you tweaked your you tweaked something or something like that and because of that tweak that pressure in that lumbar that pressure that happens and 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 it and it, and it uh, kind of pinches if you will some of those nerve endings in that, in that whole uh, spinal cord piece and going to the tendings. And that's why some of you get numb fingers at the end of the day from working at a computer because the pressure wasn't made. You weren't supposed to have that kind of pressure for that extended amount of time. And he says, and what a chiropractor does is through a series of adjustments to adjust that spine, to adjust that neck, to get, that, to get the pressure off of that space that wasn't supposed to be there. And through a series of adjustments to put that thing back in alignment so that now the pressure isn't on those spots causing pain, suffering, and eventually damage to where you can't recover from it. And friend, I want you to know today, we're going to start making some adjustments. Isn't that good? Say yes. And there's some things that you're going to walk out of here today, and I'm going to challenge you to adjust some things in your home, some things in raising your children, some things in being a single person, some things in being a married person, married person without kids, married person with kids, a single person with kids, single person without kids, whatever it may be, we're going to make some adjustments today. Isn't that good? Say yes. Turn the person next to you and say, let's adjust. You can do better than that. Say, let's adjust. Okay, so one more time. This is, we're going to do this one more time. Go ahead and pull out your phones. Let's do our little survey here. There are three top pressure pieces that transpire, to three top reasons in a family, in a home, that causes much of the pressure that we see leads to divorce, separation, and some of these other things, splitting of relationships, difficulties with children. There are three main pieces, and I want to put these three on the screen, and I want you to vote. 
take out your phone. If you were here last week, uh, you'll know how to do it. If not, I'll explain to the rest of you. And we're going to vote. We're going to do a survey. Which of these three is your top three, or, excuse me, is your number one reason in your home for the pressure that you're feeling, okay? So the top reason for pressure at your home, number one, is money. Number one. Number two, communication is bad in your home. Number three is because of the busyness of your lives. And then what I want you to do is take out your phone. Here's the number, 469-606-COTH or 2684. Punch that number into your phone and then text the number one. If you believe money is the top reason for the pressures in, at your house, if you believe communication is where you're like, we can't even talk right, I don't know what the problem, I just want to, she wants to strangle me, I want to stab her, okay? Or he's, you know, he's 16 and he's just full of the devil. All I know is I can't get him out of his room. If it's communication, then text the number two to this number. If it's busyness, like I don't even see him, I don't even know what we're doing in life. If it's number three, then just press, uh, uh, send the number three in a text message to that number. I know you're trying to look past all the stuff I have up here. And let's see what we got here. So right now, woo, look at number two. Number two being communication, winning out, I don't know. Number three is in a close second. Number one, you don't need money. Come on, I love rich people. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all don't have any difficulties with money. Y'all need to tithe more than doggone it. That's the pressure I'm feeling. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Busyness is coming in second. Looks like uh, number one is communication so far with a number of you. Again, you want to text number one is money if you feel like that's the top reason for the pressure in your home. Number two, you want to text uh, number two if it's communication or if it's busyness. Uh, go ahead and text number three. All right. Let's go back to it. Let's see where we landed. Look at that. Ooh, money because I said something about money. Money's making a comeback. Thank you, guys. Being honest for the first time in your life. All right. And so, wow, 50% of you in this room says it really boils down to, oh, 749, you're getting beat out because of the busyness. Okay, and it's back and forth. As your reports come in, looks like that's pretty much where it's going to settle. So just about half of you say it boils down to the pressure that we're having at home comes to communication, and the next one being the busyness, and then the last one coming in being money. So let's start with that. Let me teach you a little bit on those three today. And whichever one was your top, I guarantee you all three of them have some, a part to play and some of the pressure and some of the difficulties and stress that you're having at home or in your family. So let's start today with the first one, and that is money. Look at Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37, verse 16. It says, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. It says, better the little little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. What this passage is saying, listen, it's better that you just have a little and be righteous than trying to accumulate wealth and being wicked. Because the Lord will do away with the wicked, but he will uphold the righteous. He will take care of what you can't ter- take care of. He'll get your kids into college when you can't get them into college. Come on, somebody. I, I laid down, uh, you know, Jamie and I talking about money. Jamie and I... Um, Uh, I used to bring in a lot of money, a good bit of money. In fact, when I travel, um, for the most part, in uh, in a uh, uh, two-day time of of ministering at a conference or something, I make about what I make from the church for two weeks of work. So I'm making two days at a conference what I'll make in two weeks of work here. And so for me, that was a season that we were were really, we were at some of the highlight of our financial season. And I live in a big, big house in Lake Ridge and one of the premier lots. We had two, two and a half acres that looked, two and a half or just two, Jamie? Was it two and a half? Yeah, two and a half. And we had the best view of the lake and so forth and so on. But our note on that house was what, 3,200, 3,500, $3,500 a month. Think about that for a moment. And I'm traveling and ministering and preaching and, and selling stuff. And people are buying all my CDs and blah, blah, blah. And we're, I'm running a Bible school. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, it just came up to one day. We just said, why are we doing this? Why am I, I, have, I, hadn't, seen, I hadn't seen any of my daughter's dance recitals. I missed practice. I didn't know where they went to school at, to be honest with you. I was like, I know it's somewhere in Fort Worth. But I hope Jamie, Jamie got real sick one time with the birth of our last child. And uh, for about 40 days, she couldn't do anything. She had to be uh, bedridden. I, I couldn't find any. I, I was like, I had to cancel speaking engagements. And, uh, and, 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 and I had to bring the kids to school. They had to tell me, Dad, go straight on 20. I'm like, okay. I mean, and then I, and I looked up and I said, you know, so what, so what good is this big old house? If the very reason that I have it is to bless my family and I'm not around my family to even enjoy the blessing. Listen, sometimes what can happen is you can get so caught up trying to, trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they used to say, 
and that you get all caught up in trying to make a lot of money that you don't even enjoy while you're on this planet and the very people that you're called to love on. on. Listen, you can change your friends, but you can't change your family. You don't get to pick another mom and dad, sorry. You don't get to, you don't get to throw out your kids. They're your kids. There's, that's your brother. That's your sister. They're going to be there forever, and you, they're, they're part of it. So why get so caught up in that? I, I've been there, and, uh, and the Lord has And now we're just living in a little sweet old, old 1950s home that got remodeled 16 times, and it's just amazing. The other day, we were, I was telling somebody the other day, I was drilling in the sheetrock so I could hang something, and, and all of a sudden, my drill went like that. It almost broke my wrist, and so I couldn't get it out, couldn't get it, so I had to cut a hole in the sheetrock. The guy, because he remodeled it himself, the guy before me, you know the padding of carpet under the carpet, the real foamy green and blue padding? That's what he put his insulation in the walls. Yeah, like, Lord, don't let it ever catch on fire. <laughs> it's gone. And so what am I going to do, rip the walls down? Look at this. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Look at that. Be content. Turn to the person next to you and say, just be content. Be content with what you have because God said he will never leave you, neither, never will I forsake you. Can I tell you something? Being content is the hardest thing, especially if you're on social media. It's the hardest thing to be content. Before you know it, you're covenanting. You say, well, that's not covetousness. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You were just fine until you found out that your girlfriend got to go on a cruise, to not just to the Bahamas, but then she sailed over, and it was like a 16-week cruise of their life, and somehow they younger than you make less money than, your, than you and your husband do, and you want to know out why in the world they got to do that. Now, all of a sudden, you're going down to Florida for a couple of days. Don't sound so good. Learning to be content. Can I tell you some of the pressure that comes from this whole money and this whole resources thing? We put it on ourselves. It's amazing how simply you can live. If you just cut out all the fluff, you don't have to have a Mercedes. You say, yes, I do. I, I, I got a dog. I paid for six years of college and doggone it. When I, and I got my education. I fought more than everybody else. And I got me a good job. And doggone it, I deserve a Mercedes. Well, friend, here's the problem. Every time you get an oil change, it costs you $300. You'd be just fine with a Honda Accord. It's pretty. It'll get better gas mileage. And when you wreck it, you won't be mad about it. When they scratch it in the Walmart parking lot, you're like, oh, well, it's a Honda. Who cares? But you scratch my Mercedes, then I'm, saying, well, I'm waiting for you to come out into the, back to your car. It, look, the Bible's real clear. It says, listen, just, just keep it simple. You don't have to worry about all the flee from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Can I just give you a couple thoughts on money? Can I just give you some practical things as your pastor? This will help you. Some of the pressure you're dealing with is you don't even know why you have the pressure when it comes to money because you're not living on a budget. Write that down. Go do some research and figure out how to get you a budget going. Here in November, we're going to do some financial teaching, and we're going to do some seminars. I highly suggest that you're going to come to those. Pastor Chris just got volunteered to be part of the leading some of those seminars. He and Miss Don have done a lot of teaching in the past for us. Learning to live on a budget is the thing that saved me and Jamie. We've never made a lot of money. We've been in ministry. The only time we made money is when I was traveling the world. And, and never. I mean, we've just always made this little simple salary. Can I tell you something? We've never wanted for anything. Why? Because we live on a budget. I know where the pennies are going. Jamie knows where the, the millions of dollars are going. Because I spend the pennies, she spends the big money. And so, actually, that's not true. They say that men, women, nickel and dime you to death in the expenditures. And men go buy boats. And trucks. Motorcycles. And, uh, and, and, and Jamie, just, she just drinks Starbucks every day, so she's killing us, you know, at $5 a pop. But do you even know that? Do you even, know, do you even have a budget? Do you even know what it's going to cost? And so what we do is we save up, and we've got, we've got enough money in our savings account that if something horribly, horrifically tragic happened, we, could live for, we can live for six months without any, without any money coming in. Why? Because we live on a budget. We do like you guys do. We give our tithe. We give a little bit more than 10%. And then we take 10% out. That's our goal in savings every month. And so our little savings is building up. It's our little nest egg. And when opportunity comes, like to invest in a piece of property that one day is going to make us even more money, we've got a little something to invest. Our money makes money. Can I tell you something? The concept that maybe your parents grew up in, and that is that you work, 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 and you take that money and you spend, 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 is not a wise concept. You actually need to go get you some Dave Ramsey teachings, you need to get with some financial folks that you trust, find some good Christian people that you know that's not going to try to sell you something, and just get, get, some, get some learning about you, just get yourself some learning. 
and get, your, get, get some good teaching and figure out how you can start taking some of the little money you do have and start applying it to something else. We told you, we told you before in this church, we realized that getting this church up and going with the big note that's on this church and taking this place over, that we couldn't ask the church for a larger salary. And so we're making the same amount of money we were making as youth pastors in the 80s. Excuse me, the 90s. And so that's okay, because what we did was we took one of our little, our income tax checks one, a couple years ago, and we went and bought kitty cats that are now breeding, and we're selling those kitty cats as another stream of income. We took our little income, and instead of going and, and buying a new car that's not going to have any residual income for us, that's not going to make money, we went and invested. It's think a little smarter. To pull aside and get on a budget and say, hey, baby, we can't spend this kind of money. Hey, sir, you can't do this. Hey, loves, get all your kids around and say, look, this is when you get to go to start. If you were scheduled, your Starbucks runs, you will look so forward to it instead of just going anytime the credit card will swipe. And if you get, you get a control over that, I promise you the pressure will alleviate, especially when it comes to money. Look at this First Timothy passage. This is one of my favorite. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. I'm praying that all of you prosper. I pray you all get so stinking rich that you can give to anything you want to give to. But the love of that is evil. It is the root of evil. And then continuing on, it says this, and it says, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I have experienced this week after week in this church. People work two and three jobs, can't come to the house of the Lord and meet together. Can't, can't ever show up on Sundays because they're killing themselves to work so hard for what? And pierce themselves. And, he, and listen, this is, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, listen, young preacher. He says, listen, young minister, young pastor. Listen, because of the love of money, people don't realize it because they want these things. And they start working. And that's good that you're a hard worker because the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. But at the same time, because they long for all these other things, they have pierced themselves. Do you get that? Look at this word picture. They have pierced themselves with many griefs, many griefs. They have stressed themselves up. They have burdened themselves. They have burdened themselves to the place that it has caused them to walk away from the things of God. They have walked away from the faith. They have, they have destroyed their workings in the body of Christ, their relationships within the body. They have destroyed their families, friend. I have watched that happen. And, so, and the wealthiest person in my family, I tell you, I watched him work to be rich and famous and wealthy and destroyed his family. None of his kids, none of the kids love him, will come to Christmas with him. He's, he's, he's cheated on his wife from the very beginning with adulterous affairs. Why? Because of the love of money, friend. I am so grateful. I don't want to just testify for a second. I got my Paul. I got Paul and KK sitting out there, my mother and father-in-law. And let me tell you something. They, they are some of the sweetest people I've ever met. They've always been faithful with their finances. They've always tithed and given to those in need. Can I tell you something? They've made lots and lots of money and they have lost lots and lots of money. But let me tell you something. They have never let it consume them. They've always kept it simple, and they've always been a good pattern for me and Jamie, and we've always learned from them. Here's the next piece. So if money and the love of money, or excuse me, money was the pressure, then the second big pressure piece, as you communicated, the number one in this church is communication. So let's do, write that down. Let's talk a couple uh, 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 good pieces I can give you about communication and family unit and in doing life together. Number one thing that I would highly encourage you to do is try to have meals together without the TV or the cell phone. Write that down. That's so good. I'm going to save your family. Try to have meals together. There's something supernatural that happens when we sit down and eat together. Now, I know your family's like my family. I got one going to soccer practice. I got one coming home from college. I don't know when he's going to walk in the door. I got another one studying in the room, supposedly. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, we try to have a meal by the time we all get home and get settled and we start trying to cook stuff and prepare stuff. It's 9 o'clock. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and they've already eaten lunch, dinner when they got home from school because they ravished the cupboard. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like, why well, cook something else? You ate, all, you ate an entire bag of potato chips. Really? Are you kidding me? You had seven sandwiches. It's 3.30. Dear God, did you not eat lunch? Yeah, I ate that too. Oh, wow. I don't know what they're doing up at that school, but they're burning off some calories. I'm telling you. And so one of the things that we've learned to do over the years, and successful families will tell you, is you need to try to have a couple meals a week together. Turn the TV off, put all the cell phones in a a, a garbage bag, and hide them in a closet somewhere, and sit. When you first do it, you're not going to know what to talk about. How you doing? Good. 
And that's going to be your moment, dads. You've got to be careful. You're going to want to start fussing. While I got all of y'all here, let me tell you what y'all ain't doing right. Don't do that. In fact, for good communication to happen, it needs to be in an environment that everyone feels safe and secure. And that's one of the critical pieces. I could just give you a good idea. And we're not the best family in the world. There are some much better families in this room than, than we are at this. But we have learned, and we try to do it once or twice a week. We score sometimes. Sometimes we don't get anywhere close to it. But we try. And when we do that, it is magnificent. It's so funny. And so it's so funny because our 8-year-old is like, my turn, my turn. I want to say something. My turn, my turn. And we have to tell, whoa, 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 whoa. You're dominating the conversation. Don't talk right now. All the time. Okay? The, the college student the high school student, now the elementary student. And then mom and I just sit there and we listen and laugh and tell stories. And it is the most amazing time. We feel the bonding. We feel the pressure go (laughs) right out the room. And the goodness of God and the peace of God come into our family. We feel like we know each other better. Friend, I'm telling you, you need to somehow incorporate that. Here's the next piece I teach you about about communication. Write this down. It's not on the screen, but I'm just giving you points from wisdom. Number Number one, you need to try to eat meals together. Number two, home should be a safe place. Everybody say that, safe place. You can say it better than that. Say safe place. Home should be a safe place. In other words, that should be the place where you don't get attacked. Home should be a place. Sister, can I tell you something? As soon as he walks in the door fussing at him, not the right move. Bro, she's working a job too because the majority of Americans, you got, you got dual incomes you get, because they pay for all the stuff we got to pay for because taxes have gone up to such a rate. And, and so, listen, listen, bro, you don't need to dump on her everything the moment she walks in the door as well. And how come I don't have this? And how come we didn't do this? You guys need to come home and create a safe environment. A couple of things that we do in my house, they're not allowed to talk bad about each other. Oh, we're just picking, not in my house. We got everybody else attacking us all throughout the day. We don't come in there and say, you so stupid. That's a, I will kill you in my house. Literally, I will beat the fool out of you. Ask my kids. We don't do that. We don't, listen, we got enough people attacking us, enough demons out there pushing all of our buttons, that home should be a place of safety where we encourage one another, where we thank one another for being. And that's hard to train kids because kids, you know, they bring home what they learned at school, yelling at each other and picking on each other and calling each other dumb and stupid and that kind of stuff. You, should, you better stop that. I'm telling you, you better get control of your home. If you want to bring a place, and Lisa, well, we're already out of control at this point. Listen, you can, you can knock it out a little bit at a time. And get back to a place where it can be a place of peace. And we don't let you speak evil about each other in our home. We don't let, we don't let you uh, manipulate in our home. We, we, we call it out. And we say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk like that. Well, this is, that's your brother. That's your sister. You're going to take care of them. Isn't that good? Somebody say yes. Our kids have never heard us yell and scream and curse each other because we don't. Jamie and I don't do that. You say, well, you know, that's, that's just not how we are. I know you need to change. I love you. But the Bible talks about an- answering when there's wrath answering with a soft word and it literally removes the wrath in a conversation just a quiet simple way of talking so let's let's come back to this because you're passionate about it and i'm obviously um, not communicating properly we just created a rule in our home that we're not going to yell we're not going to scream we're not going to curse do we disagree about every other minute i just can't get that woman to submit to my ways i don't know what the deal is no i mean my wife is the smartest person i know and so you know I have to every now and then pretend like I know something. That's when we get in disagreement. And so we're always disagreeing. But I love, I always quote this. This is my favorite quote of all time. Billy Graham's wife said, where two always agree, one's not needed. Disagreement's not bad. It's wonderful. It's called doing life together. What's bad is when you and I start, when we start yelling and fussing and spitting and screaming at each other. That's not healthy. That's not clean. You say, well, that's how I was raised. Well, you were raised wrong. It's time to not raise your kids that way or your stepkids or whatever. And you bring all of that into a family unit and trying to work together. And, uh, and these are things that, you know, you just become bad habits. And, and all that does, guys, is it, it heightens the pressure because that's not how it's supposed to be. So you put pressure on a spot that now is causing tingling of the finger. That's causing anger and frustration. And we need to realign that. And we need to get the communication going a little bit better. Isn't that good? Say yes. What does 1 Corinthians 13 says? Love always believes the best, hopes the best. Listen, if you really love that person that you live with, whether it be your children, your parents, your spouse, whatever it is, then you need to love 
love the best, hope the best, speak the best all the time. Jamie is the greatest encourager. The reason why I accomplish great things, because I've got someone encouraging me, putting courage in me. You can do it. We can do it. Sweet love, I know that you feel like that's the only way you can stop him from being an idiot. But every time you suck courage out of him by discouraging him, by telling him that's dumb, why don't you do this better? Every time you do that, compare him to somebody else that does that thing better, you steal courage from him. And friend, can I tell you, sweet love, you are killing that relationship. The greatest thing you could ever do is encourage, even if you think it's the stupidest idea in the world. Come on, God will bless it. Just say, look, I think it's the dumbest thing in the world, but you're the man of God. God's going to, he's not, he's like, he ain't even saved. And you're like, you're the man of God. Start speaking life over that. I've got so many mamas in the faith that have taught me, you know, they had those old wicked husbands that didn't want to go to church, didn't want to serve God, called themselves atheists, and they just start speaking life over them and tell them, you're the greatest man of God until one day, you know, they're, they're one of the prayer partners at our church. It's amazing how God does that when we speak life and not death. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 8 through 10, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the verses before verses 8 through 10, he's talking to husbands and wives. And wives, you know, submit to your husbands and love them. And, and, and husbands, treat your wives, you know, with respect. They're on the same level as you are. How dare you treat them as, you know, subservient, things like that. And then he moves into verse 8. He's talking about the whole body as a whole, but I think it applies as much to the family and the home as anywhere else. It says in verse 8, and finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because of this, you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Yeah. Listen, don't let your kids repay evil for evil. I mean, listen, I will, I will, I will whoop my kids, Texas style. If they start, you know, he punched me, I punch him back. Uh uh-uh, we don't play that. That's crazy. That's not, that's not godly living. That's not like Christ. It says, don't repay insult with insult, but with blessing. Teach our kids to do that and show that, model that. You say, oh, I got so much to work on, friend. Tell me. We got to get this thing alignment. And here's a couple things that I would add to communication. Write this down. You need to clearly define and communicate the roles of the family. Clearly communicate and define those roles. Some homes... It's better for the dad to cook. Really, really better for the dad to cook. In other homes, like our home, I can't, I can't even do a steak good. I can't even grill right. Now, that is part of my master plan because anything you're good at, you're responsible for. So I'm just throwing that out there, fellas. Just. And uh, no, seriously, I'm terrible. I, I've tried multiple times. Jamie's just like, would you please get out of the way before you kill us all? And so, so, but the problem is my wife is very, very involved, not only works here at the church, but also in the city. And so as a result, we don't have the traditional, you know, honey, I'm home. I've been cooking for you all day. We don't have that family. In fact, if that family exists, we want to meet you because <laughs> I don't know where that one's at, right? And trying to live for that, that's some 50s model that we can't do anyway. It's like trying to, trying to use a 50s cell phone, right? Exactly. And so, so what we have to do is we have to define and figure out the roles that work best in our family unit. Listen, I know traditionally preachers preach about how the men need to run the money. Friend, let me tell you something. At the end of the day, some of you men should never touch the money. I'm just going to say that. There's some women ought to say amen right now. Come on. You know that's right, sister. And so, and so who's the better in that role? And define that and clearly communicate. The problem that I find in communication is that we don't know whose job that is. One thinks it's yours. The other one thinks it's yours. And then can I help you with something else? Your kids need to have a role and a responsibility up in your house. They need to cut the grass. They need, listen, they need to. They walking on that grass. Let me tell you something. They need to clean their own toilet in their little bathroom. Teach them how to clean the toilet. Well, you know, I, I did, but I went in that one day and little Johnny was drinking, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Lysol. Well, teach him not to. He'll only do it once. <laughs> As my grandma used to say, they only do it once. <laughs> but you know what? You need to give some roles and responsibility. Whose responsibility is it to clean up after dinner? Whose responsibility is to take out the trash? And you, you say, well, he's just so little. I just, and he makes a mess of it. And you know what? He'll constantly be making a mess of it until you empower him or her to do that job. Otherwise, they'll get, that person will get married and can't keep a marriage together because his wife's like, are you serious? Are you serious? You can't pick your drawers up off the floor in the bathroom. Are you serious? I ain't your mama. And well, my mama always just bought me stuff. You know, look, you got to have a mess. 
You better get it straight. Help them now. Come on. You want them to stay married? Say yes. And uh, here's a couple other little pieces that I would say, and that is pray together. Pray together, guys. Pray together with your family. So you're running out the door. Just stop. Grab my hand. Father, I just thank you for my kids. I just pray they have a great day today, Lord God, and watch out for all the demons that try to hit them and hurt them. And Lord God, just surround them in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything. If you forget to, call them on their cell phone. My God, you got them a cell phone when they were six. I mean, text them. Tell them you love them. Something. You know, pray with them. Isn't that good? Say yes. And then the last thing and I would say in communication, date each other. Date each other. Date your daughter, bro. My daughters will tell you, I told them from the very beginning, I'm going to date you. I'm going to take you to places. I, I open the door for my daughters. I, I treat them to fancy meals periodically and things like that. We go out on little dates and do things, and, and they get to ride in the car with me, da-da-da-da-da, and I treat them with such respect. And what I'm doing is if they can't date or marry someone and, until they can outdo what daddy does. Well, guess what? Ain't no little 16-year-old got the money I got. Is Mariah, is Mariah in here, Cohen? Do you see her? Mariah's not in here. Next service. If you ask Mariah or Adeline, what do you call a man who won't open the door for you? They immediately respond, a bum. <laughs> Training them right. Last piece, we got to go. The last piece of what causes a lot of this pressure, we need to bring alignment, is the busyness of our lives. The busyness in our families. And can I just say something? Many of you are overcommitted. And I want to just help you with a thought process. Little Johnny will be just fine if he doesn't play soccer, baseball, basketball, and play in the choir and in the drama team this semester. I promise you. You are killing yourself. You are killing them. They're stressed out. They don't ever have any time to sit and think, and that's why they can't sit straight in class and act right. That's why they can't act right when they're at home. It's because you've stressed them out so much trying to outbeat everybody else, and you got them all the gear, and you want to finally be the one, you know, that, like, like, like Jonathan Penny was saying about his dad and his, and his son, you know. Jonathan's son, maybe he's the one to play baseball, you know. <laughs> you know, listen, get out from under all that pressure. Stop overcommitting yourself. And then here's the thing that I would teach you on that. Sit down with your family. And create a structure and a strategy with a calendar. Come on, do what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you, this will help you. Okay, this night, we're not going to go do anything. Nothing. This is our protection night that we just sit. Watch your favorite movies. Watch your favorite TV shows. Come on, you guys are all, you know, you've all you know, overextended because you bought, you know, Direct TV, Dish Network, and NFL Weekends. You know, whatever you bought. You know, you got all this stuff. DVR it. Watch it on your night. As a family, have fun as a family, do games together, things like that. But you need to develop and live within a defined structure. Develop it. What do you do on Mondays? We do this on Mondays. What do you do on Tuesdays? We do this on Tuesdays. What do we do on Wednesdays? And every time something tries to come against that, like, oh, my goodness, they just went from elementary to junior high. Now junior high practices is on this day. Then you sit down as a family and you rework that strategy. You rework that structure of your family. You redefine what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And Frank, can I, just, can I just alleviate for the parents? They will not be a second-rate human if they're not involved in everything you can get them involved in. I don't know why you're doing that. It goes back to a core fear of yours that maybe you didn't get to do anything because you grew up without, you know, with a single mom that couldn't get, them in, get you in a bunch of stuff. Friend, look at you. You're in church raising your kids, right? You came out okay. The point being is you're under some kind of pressure. Again, social media, your buddy, your buddy at work who's got his kids and everything. Yeah, but they don't serve God. That is their God. And so, Frank, can I tell you something? They're going to be just fine. Stop overcommitting yourself. Can I help you out with something else? Especially you guys with big, 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 big families. You, you, you can't go to every birthday party. You can't buy. You talk about half of you are poor and broke because you're buying gifts for every kid in your family. And you've got a family of 12 siblings. I guess you are broke. You're trying to buy all the grandkids, everything, and you've got to need to come up with a plan and a strategy so that you're not just under some kind of guilt where you're just throwing money out there and you're like, wow, and we've got to go to this one. And baby, Saturday was supposed to be our day together, but you know, they got, we got you know, this one and this one's got their birthday party and this thing and this thing. And listen, you need to figure it out, come up with a strategy, say we're going to do this many birthday parties a year, we're going to do this many gifts a year, get your finances in order, get your busyness in order, and Frank, can I tell you something? <laughs> It'll all come into alignment, and you won't have your fingers going numb in this marriage or in raising children. You won't be walking like this, you know. Man, I don't know what it is. 
I'm so stressed out. I'm so pressurized. Life is so busy. Look at Proverbs chapter 29. And this is big in raising your kids. It says, if a man pampers his servant from you, he will bring grief in the end. And this is the last little piece I want to make, and that is this. And it's not in the notes. It's not on the board, but it's in my notes, and I want you to write this down. And that is, you need to allow your children to experience some pressure in their life. Again, Proverbs 29, 21. If a man pampers his servant, if you do that with your servant, how about your own kid, it will bring grief in the end. Can I tell you something? You and I are great, great people. You know why? Because we've been through some junk. You know what? Because you didn't get to make the basketball team because that coach was, un- he, he showed favoritism to his own kids. That didn't destroy you, made you stronger. Can I tell you something? You go running up in there and you waving the flag, mama bear come out, and you kill, you know, want to stab everybody. You've changed six school districts in the last two years, you know, because cause little, little Johnny didn't get treated right. Frank, can I tell you something? They need to go through some of that. One of the best things I ever did was Cohen, wave your hand, son. My son, uh, when, how old did, how old did you, when you started your little business? Were you 13, 14 range, somewhere in there? Start, how much? 15. He started a little lawn business, and Papa loaned him a lawn more. He stole my weed eater for a little bit of time until he could buy his own. And he just started cutting people's grass. And as he cut people's grass, you know, he'd make mistakes, forget to cut it on time. All that pressure was good. I didn't go in there and save the day every time. And now he's got a good little business going. Got a good little side business going to support him during his times of ministry. He's got a little something happening that brings him a little income source in. I didn't go in there and save the day. I helped him. I gave him a little bit of help here and there. But I didn't go save the day and keep pressure from happening because that pressure created the man of God that he is today. It's good. Stop trying to save the day. Stop doing all that. You make it, you're making little Johnny worthless to our community. I'm telling you. It's, it, you're, creating a, you're creating a monster that can't work for anybody. Isn't that good? Say yes. And the last thing I would give you, and write this down, there's a great book called Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. I always suggest this, Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. And the premise of his book, and I'll just give it to you and then we'll stand and pray, and that is this, is that there is no way you can be great at everything in life. When it comes to being a mom, coming to be a spouse, a good son, a good daughter, whatever, you can't be great at all of it. So you need to pick the things you want to be great at and things you're not so good at. Just pick it. You can tell by looking at me that I chose, a couple years ago, I chose not to have abs anymore. I made the choice. I made the choice. Why? Because an hour a day in the gym to two hours a day in the gym meant that I had to cheat something else. So I made the choice. And I made those choices, and I owned those choices. You need to make the choices. Because right now you're stressing yourself out, trying to keep it all going. I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to try to be good at this. I'm going to be the best at this. And I'm going to run over here. And I'm going to do this. And all this kind of stuff. And you're not good at none of it at this point. So what you want to do is just pick the thing that you want to be really good at. Be the mom that's that mom. Be the dad that's that dad. Be the, be the spouse that's just that. Jamie just knows. I'm going to be romantic twice a year. But I'm going to be stable, doggone it. I ain't going to have eyes for nobody else. I'm going to be faithful. And she, she got faith and she, gets, she looks for it for her two romantic times. The rest of the time, it's like, there we go. It's life. And I own it. That's, that's, that's about all I got in my capabilities. And it's awesome. And I own it. And we talk about it. And she's like, oh, it's okay. At least I get my twice a year romantic moments, you know, kind of thing. It's just good. Own it. Stand with me all across the room. That was, hopefully that helped you a little bit. Isn't that good? Say yes. So I gave you a couple places to release some of the pressure, some things to start building, and hopefully we've made some good adjustments. Would you lift both your hands before the Lord just to receive? Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room. Lord, pressure at home can be one of the most debilitating. Lord, I pray right now that our homes would start becoming places of safety. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that every man and woman in this room would make a decision. Our home will be safe. Our home will be a place of goodness. Our, pl- our home will be a place of protection. Our children will be able to sleep at night because they don't hear us screaming and yelling. That, our, that my, me and my spouse, that we're going to learn how to communicate better. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, when it comes to the money, that, Lord, that each and every one of us right now in Jesus' name, would, Lord God, would find wisdom to walk in this thing. That, Lord God, that where we've been foolish, where we've been ignorant, which simply means we didn't have understanding, that here and now, Lord God, that something that was said would spark would spark us to go and do what needs to be done to get that strength. Now, Father, I thank you right now. I thank you right now for supernatural transformation 
in our communication skills. Lord, for my single people, Lord God, let them learn even now how to start walking in better communication. Lord God, so that when they're married, they don't have all the trappings in Jesus' name. Would you put your hands down for just a moment? Thank you so much. Keep your heads bowed. If today you're in this place and you're away from the Lord, you're in the right spot, friend. I'm telling you, the Lord is here with us today. And He wants to fix you. And He wants to be your Savior and your Lord. The Bible says that it's appointed once for man to die. Not just men, but women as well. But it uses the word man to represent humanity. And then the judgment. You will die. I will die. And then we'll stand before the Lord and we'll give an account. Did we love Him? Did we embrace Him? Or did we push Him away? You're here at church today. That means you want God. You want something to transpire in your life. I want to give you an opportunity to have a best friend relationship with him. If you're away from the Lord, you used to be a Christian, but you've walked away. Or you've never served the Lord. This is your moment. I want to introduce you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, what do I have to do? Well, you don't have to do much because he did it all on the cross. The Bible says our role is simply to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Christ. If I'm speaking to you today and you're away from the Lord, you want to repent and come back to Jesus, or you want to make him the Lord for the first time in your life, would you just lift your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor, pray for me. And I'll pray with you. God bless you. You put it back down. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to be right with the Lord. I don't want to live like this any longer. I want him to come into my life. Amen. Give you about three more seconds. Thank you guys so much for your honesty, your sincerity. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? couple of you already. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I don't think there's anything magical about the words we're about to say. I think what's supernatural is that you have responded to God's tugging at your heart and you'll never be the same. Would you pray this out loud with everyone in the congregation? Say this out loud with my friends who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my wants, my desires, my life. And here in front of all these people, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Please wash away the shame and the guilt. Today I declare Jesus is my Lord and I will serve you all my days in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I bless those who've made a decision for you today. I pray they would sense the peace of God, the joy of the Lord to come upon them. And Lord, may they never, ever be the same. May they know that you are theirs and they are yours. And that, Lord God, that they can walk uprightly as they walk out this room today. If they were in a terrible car accident and their life was ended. And they stood before you right here and right now. You would look at them and say, well done. And they say, oh, but I barely, I barely, I didn't didn't serve you long enough. Lord Jesus, your word teaches us clearly. You would still say, well done. I love you and embrace them eternity would be spent with you we thank you for your goodness and your kindness in the name of jesus and all god's people said amen and amen